0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to HashMap on Tap. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening to the show today. I'm Kelly Coleffel, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Tagus Monohar. Tagus is co-founder of HighTouch. They are a SaaS-based data platform that helps you sync your customer data from a cloud data platform to your CRM, marketing systems, and other support tools to enable operational analytics. Tagus, hi. Welcome to the show. What are you drinking today?
1: Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders of High Touch. Really, really glad to be on the show today. Uh, today, I, I've for Hashmap on Tap. I've brought a, a vodka soda mix here. It's a classic uh, drink. I'm not too picky when it comes to when it comes to drinks, but excited to be on the show.
0: I, hey, I like it. We are uh, we're late afternoon here. You're a little earlier afternoon than I am, but late afternoon nonetheless. And uh, no, great call on that. We'll uh, find out how that goes. Is that uh, so? That's a go-to for you, or, or uh, just kind of a you know, pick it up as needed.
1: That's uh, a go-to, a go to, go to, uh, and there's no one, no one else's decisions to copy. I, think I usually <laughs> yeah. just go along with the flow, and if not, this is the yeah. go to.
0: Very nice. Well, I, I just, uh, I had to pull an audible, so I didn't have that available, uh, that exact match. So I pulled a, and I was, I was slammed like you were this afternoon. I pulled a Shiner Bohemian Black Lager. Uh, fortunate to have a couple of things to choose from there, nice. uh, Shiner Bohemian Black Lager out, and so I'll be nursing that through the show today and see how that goes. I, I uh, Shiner's a, a Texas-based uh, brewery, and uh, tend to tend to default to them quite a bit because they're easy to pick up in the in the various supermarkets.
1: Nice, yeah, I think that's definitely a more refined <laughs> refined taste than <laughs> the vodka soda over here, but anything anything will do.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, again, welcome to the show. Why don't you Tay, just start off, take a couple of minutes, and be really interesting to hear about your background? Um, I know that uh, you know there's some really cool stuff going on at High Touch right now, but take us through how you got into technology overall, your role, background, all that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I actually didn't grow up in uh, San Francisco. I'm from Tennessee, so I'm from from the southeast. I got into got into technology. Just just hacking around as as a kid myself on the internet building games. Later on, some some websites, some interactive. What, what town or what
0: city in Tennessee? What area?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a suburb of Nashville, so it's called oh, uh, it's okay. called Brentwood, Brentwood, Nolensville, Franklin, that area, but suburbs of Nashville.
0: Last time I was in Nashville, I was there for a snowflake. I was speaking at a snowflake event, and I remember the uh, Country Music Awards were going on.
1: Wow! And, really? Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 and it was glitterati all over the place it was it was crazy what year, so, what year was that man that was it was it was uh about two years ago about two years ago nice, and uh nice. but I, I enjoyed it had a good time there when did you move out to the bay area
1: yeah i moved out to the bay area in 2015. yeah i i, I lived a bit in boston cambridge area before that uh, but i moved out to the bay area in 2020 end of 2015 early 2016 man. to join to join segment
0: yeah, another great town. I spent a little bit of time. I lived in uh, in Lowell, just north of Boston, for a while. But nice. spent a lot of time in in Boston. Really like. I, I lived love getting Walton, around in Boston.
1: Actually, yeah, nearby as well.
0: Yeah, Boston is one of those towns too. You can walk. You can really walk the whole city. Yeah, which I, is really I'm actually cool. a big
1: a big fan of the area, especially the, the whole Cambridge area. It's just very pleasant to be
0: in. Really, really nice. So, so you uh, you were what kind of what kind of games and and so forth were you developing when you were younger?
1: Yeah, I mean. Started with some stuff with Flash and then things progressed, like even JavaScript type games. They were mostly mostly 2D, nothing too fancy. Yeah. Things modeled after stuff like Mario. And then I got into kind of like web 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 applications. Uh from there. Built built some application for my, my high school at some point too. Yeah, that's kind of how I how I got into programming. And actually like my first professional gig programming was with a company that was trying to take the lottery uh, online by the time they were called auto lotto
0: auto lotto i like it yeah
1: auto lotto <laughs> it's quite the name <laughs> uh they actually have, have since rebranded to lottery.com uh, the first engineer first engineer of the company we did all sorts of wacky stuff you know printing out tickets and gas stations like automating like printing and scanning of these tickets sending them to the users and they're actually i think they just went kind of spack and went public <laughs> just now so that's that's super exciting and I actually moved out to the Bay Area to work with them for a bit, and then eventually uh, Segment in January of 2016, which was a super exciting product that I had used previously at some internships and at the lottery company, and was just seeing how quickly they grew up. I knew it was a space I wanted to be in
0: and a company I wanted to join. Hey, you did uh, you were a software engineer for Segment? Yeah,
1: yeah. So that was that was my first my first gig at Segment, software engineering. I worked in the product and engineering team the whole time at Segment, eventually was managing a team and building some new new products there and at, at my time at Segment I got to work on all sorts of different products So like I mean I joined the company when the team was pretty small hmm. maybe it was about 40, 40 people at the company total and only about like eight or ten engineers somewhere between then yeah and I stayed until it was like 400 people total and maybe oh, like 120 man. engineers and it was just, it was incredible to see the journey of the company
0: what development languages, what development tools did you come in with that you were proficient with uh, to Segment?
1: Yeah, yeah. So over at HubSpot in Cambridge, I would used a good amount of Java there. Uh, I mean, web development like JavaScript and stuff like mm-hmm. that I was already super familiar with me at Segment and, and Node.js using the stuff on the back end, some Python. But Segment, I actually learned uh, Go as well, Go mm-hmm. language by Google. Which was what most of our data systems were written in at segment. super great language. love using it. Uh, and it was it was new to me at, at segment, so it was a lot of a lot of cool learning there. But honestly, past languages, it was there was a lot of learning on data infrastructure. I mean, yeah. that, that stuff is language agnostic, but a lot <laughs> of the concepts with data infrastructure, large scale data warehousing, distributed systems, like those are just the types of applications that I hadn't really worked on as a hobbyist, of course, yeah. but hadn't worked on in my past jobs either. that were more focused on, you know, consumer products.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, step us, uh, fast forward us to the decision process. So you were at Segment and then uh, decided to start High Touch. How did that, how did, how'd you get the idea? How did it come about, kind of concept or reality? Were there some assumption, assumptions that you made along the way as you were making that decision to make that move? Because it sounds like things were going exceptionally well at Segment too. Yeah,
1: yeah. So initially, when I left Segment, it actually wasn't to found High Touch in particular. I mean, it's the same, the same team, the same uh, corporation by all yeah. means. Uh, but as we were talking about earlier, I actually left Segment to start at a travel company. Mm. So it was me and a couple of friends working in a travel company, uh, and we did you know Y Combinator program in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We had some of the founders from Segment as, as investors, some of our colleagues from there. Cause the company was doing ex- exceptionally well. And it was it was basically a B2B travel company. Uh, but what happened was when COVID hit, there's two ways to phrase it. One is we were forced to pivot the company to do something uh-huh. else in, in March of, of 2020. The other way is I think COVID gave us an opportunity to move back into the data space where I think we were much more proficient and had much stronger thoughts. And so we scaled back, scaled back the company. One of my buddies from uh, in the Segment who was working on his own startup uh, who's our housemate also joined joined in and we decided to found high touch yeah high touch it's, it's an interesting story i see it very much as kind of an extension of the work that we did at segment i see our, our work at high touch is solving a lot of the same core problems but on a fundamentally different different model completely built on the data warehouse mm-hmm. whereas customer data platforms or the space that segment is one of the forerunners in is completely built on their own data platform in the back end, where you collect your own events to segment, extend your own user data segment, and then kind of transform and route it in there. We're really doing the same thing, but building it directly on top of the infrastructure that companies already have. And what's interesting is the CDP space. Like when we started building those products segment, we were employing technologies like BigQuery, looking at technologies oh. like Snowflake, Apache Flink, much before we could expect our customers, which could even be super large companies to have these technologies available to them in-house with a data team available to them to help the marketing team and help the different business teams around the organization but there's been this shift that i saw at segment which was that no not a vendor like segment or a customer data platform none of those really panned out as like the de facto way to track all your customer data the data what happened instead was that data warehousing technology became so accessible to all types of companies and companies started employing this technology themselves rather than relying on a, a vendor like segment to add pretty layers on top of it yeah. And at that point, I realized the integration problem of getting data into a bunch of different systems from the warehouse still stands and is, in fact, growing and can be a much bigger addressable market if we just throw something onto the existing infrastructure like Snowflake, DBT, et cetera, that, that companies are all have now.
0: You bring up a lot of technologies, and I, I want to dig into a little bit more about what what is the value that high-touch brings. You and I have spoken previously about this notion of a reverse ETL and I was even hesitant to bring it up to you I didn't know if that would be you know the, the right terminology to use but <laughs> you, you you kind of embrace that I mean it, it I think <laughs> it makes sense to people and I, I think I told you before I've had a lot of folks ask me about hey do you have any good reverse ETL solutions that you can yeah. you can get us yeah. on to definitely
1: so I think reverse ETL it's not it's not the coolest game for his face <laughs> I could call my startup you know, the magical customer database or a customer data platform or something <laughs> more flashy, we would. But I think truly the, the market chooses the terms that you got to use. You don't yeah. choose them. You have, to, you have to choose what resonates. And this is what our customers have been coming up with from, from day one that we've, we've pitched the idea to them. And it's what people in the market are just resonating around and come up with naturally. So it's a term we're embracing. What it yeah. really means is traditionally, as probably most of the audience knows, there's ETL processes which move data from different source systems or systems of record around the company, whether that's, you know, your application database, like a MySQL or Postgres powering your web app or your Salesforce instance around the company or your Zendesk support tool or your NetSuite financial tool, moving all those data sources, extracting them, transforming them into a consumable format and loading them into a data lake or data warehouse. We see that as an ETL process. Recently, you know, there's been, new twists on it like ELT with the rise of cloud data warehouses where people are doing that transform stuff in the warehouse itself instead of yeah. in the pipeline that moves the data. But overall we see as an ETL or ELT process. Reverse ETL, I mean why it just resonates so well, is it's the opposite. It's taking data from the data warehouse, from that central repository where you consolidate all the data sources and perhaps modeled new definitions like what's a customer? How much revenue are they paying me? What's the risk of churn? where they add in the funnel or life cycle. So you take that data that you've built and those definitions you built on top of your whole collection of data in the warehouse and you move it from there into, back into the source systems where your business's operations and your, your teams are actually living on a day-to-day basis. So it's just taking the idea of something like a FireTran or Matillion or Stitch Data and reversing it to mm-hmm. make a reverse ETL process where you're moving it back from the, those destination systems, the warehouses, into the source systems the systems of record around the company.
0: Yeah, now that's really interesting. One of the things I was wondering as you were talking was, let's say I'm a new Snowflake customer, a new BigQuery customer, How, what are you seeing in the market? How long does it take before I, as a new customer of a cloud data platform, feel comfortable that that is truly my source system of record and I can build applications off of that or I can uh, really perform operational analytics as you're talking about from that platform?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question honestly like a lot of the companies that we talk to they're kind of already in the state where they're like we have model data in the warehouse we already see the need for something like high touch to be introduced to the stack so it's hard for me to say as a whole that said we have worked with a handful of companies and actually where where they didn't have this infrastructure set up yet and we actually found that the reason they set up the infrastructure was to kind of solve this sort of consolidation problem before having a snowflake or a big they didn't have any way to join two different data sources like a Salesforce and a Zendesk or Salesforce and Zendesk and their application database. Like They just didn't have any way to join customer data from these, from these different systems. So as soon as the warehouse was spun up and Fivetran was connected or one of those ETL solutions that allows you to get data in same day, as soon as that happened, it, it did become the de facto source of truth around the company. Now, did it have all the information around the customer profile in a modeled, clean way that day? No, but it was better than any other system that exists around the company yep. since they all just had disparate views of the customer. So I guess pretty fast, and, and that's that's really due to the rise of the ETL ecosystem over the last five years where tools like Fivetran, Stitch Data, Matillion have really become mainstream. Fivetran, my favorite one i really become mainstream in allowing customers to just sign up and get up and running so fast and bring data sources into the warehouse.
0: Yeah, I agree. We're we're big FiveTran fans as well. I think, you know, the simplicity, speed, sustainability aspect that FiveTran brings, it's just incredible. So Tejas, uh, what you're saying a while ago, you're able to take high touch and the high touch capabilities that you offer and plug that into an existing modern data stack. You're not needing to rip and replace the CDP. You're not needing to rip and replace the existing ETL or anything like that. That's something that you can uh, fit. It sounds like very elegantly into.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the way we look at it is that high touch or, or reverse ETL process should just be complementary and just honestly a part of the modern data stack. And what I what I see as the modern data stack is really having a best-in-class SaaS tool to bring data into the warehouse. So something like a five tran, a best-in-class cloud data warehouse. So Snowflake, namely BigQuery, I'm sure Redshift is making progress, but Snowflake and BigQuery are really, really much no. better. Uh, and then a transformation layer, so dbt, which allows you to easily create these new data models using just SQL instead of managing all these Python scripts and orchestrating them. So high-touch or RISDL process doesn't replace any of these solutions. It just, just layers on to do the last mile of analytics, which is I've created some insights, I've created some new data models in my warehouse using an ELT approach, using DBT, or or' using SQL and a BI tool. And now I want those results, I want those, those learnings to be available to each of my teams in the tools they live in or even outside the scope of SaaS tools, maybe I want them to fire off you know, Slack notifications to my teams when certain conditions are hit, or maybe I want to push that data to a production database and, and use it to power an in-app personalization API. So really what we're thinking about is taking those, that information that you're producing in your data stack and, and operationalizing it so that it can be used for actual action to your customers and not just long-term strategic thinking and planning.
0: Can you give me, let me I'm gonna let me throw out some technologies and uh, that that HashMap uses and, and see if you can give me a scenario. Give me a if you can give me a maybe a sales scenario that, that you feel like high touch could plug into. So I've got a modern data stack. So I've got FiveTran, I've got DBT, I've got Snowflake, from an operational system standpoint, I've got HubSpot, I've got Zoom info and we use Slack for communications. If, and pretty much everything is, is encapsulated from a sales and marketing perspective in HubSpot for us, Tejas. I guess my question is, is that not enough operational systems from a sales and marketing standpoint? Do I need stuff like sales and marketing system A, B, C, and D, or, or having HubSpot, having Zoom info, and using Slack as comms with those other technologies? Are there some scenarios that you can come up with that would be interesting?
1: Yeah, totally. So let's say you have a data warehouse and you have a CRM like HubSpot, and inside of your HubSpot, uh, you don't have information about you know how much people are paying you in a billing system like Stripe, or you don't have information on you know the last communication uh, someone's had in a, a Slack channel uh, that you have open with one of your customers at Hashmap. But you do have this information from Slack being brought in via maybe maybe Stitch Data's Slack connector, and you have this information from you know, Stripe or NetSuite or whatever your, your bill.com billing system being brought in by Fivetrans connector into your Snowflake. Once you have all that information in Snowflake and you don't have it in HubSpot, that's a situation that high can solve. So basically there, there's, there's two ways to view data from from your data warehouse like Snowflake. One is your data team, your data analyst can create a BI dashboard or a BI report and show this to uh, your audience so you can, teach, you can teach the salespeople how to go look into Looker, look into Mode Analytics as a part of their workflow. Or if your salespeople are living out of HubSpot all day, what Reverse CTL says is don't make them look at a BI report. Instead, just push the insights that you would be showing in the BI report directly to the place they live in the format most flexible to you. So how, what what the experience of using HiTouch to to solve the problem of getting you know Slack info, Zoom info info, and, and uh, NetSuite or Stripe info into HubSpot would look like is Hop into High Touch, query query the data warehouse to pull up information like the last time you've talked to a customer in Slack or the amount they've paid this year in Stripe. Just select that in a SQL query and then paste it into paste it into High Touch and just uh, map it into uh, what you want that to look like in HubSpot. So you can say for each round of the SQL query, I want that to update you know a contact in HubSpot and, and add these these fields uh, in the mappings UI and High Touch to those contacts. These custom fields like. ARR revenue for this year. Last contacted in Slack, and boom! Now HubSpot is just supercharged continuously with all the information from these different services that you've consolidated in the warehouse, um, without you writing any code.
0: Yeah, I like that because you know we're in HubSpot a lot, and it's it's really uh, you know that single pane of glass into sales and marketing for us. But being able to activate it even more from a more in the moment type scenario where I'm I'm grabbing other information from multiple systems that makes sense in context yeah. in the moment is really, really interesting and I, I think could add a whole nother layer of customer interaction to the to to what we're doing as a company.
1: Yeah, I mean the thing is there's been this fundamental shift where kind of every SaaS player, whether it's a HubSpot, a Salesforce, a Zendesk, etc., et cetera, kind of saw the world centered around around their services and and saw them as like the single source of truth for customer information, and that maybe worked for a while while other sources of truths didn't exist, I think that's even no. a, a stretch to say, but let's say I'm a manual business and I'm walking around and talking to people and selling selling something door to door, and I log everything in Salesforce, like maybe that is really all the information I have, but these days companies are digital and they have more information coming from a variety of different sources. In response solutions like HubSpot and Salesforce started adding things like form builders and things like that. So if you capture information via their first party ways, like a HubSpot Uh form that you put on your website, then it'll show up in HubSpot. But in reality, like the number of data sources around a company is just growing like crazy. And the only place where companies have managed to bring it all into one place is the data warehouse. And there's an ecosystem around that of ETL solutions. So we think the right way to solve building the single view of customer is to build it in the environment where there's all these nice nice uh, solutions on the ingest layer like Fivetran, all these nice solutions like dbt on building the core models in SQL and where you have SQL and the power of SQL to do whatever you want in full control. And then just use HiTouch to do the last mile of bringing it back into the, the operational systems.
0: Oh, very good, very good. Hey, are there any any companies that you can mention that you're working with, or organizations that you're working with that are able to take full advantage of the approach you're describing today? Uh, can you talk at all about some of the benefits that they're seeing, whether it be in a sales and marketing context or service context?
1: Yeah, completely. So we have a wide variety of companies on the platform ranging from you know B2B companies to B2C companies. The use cases are just all over the place, even even newspaper actually is on high touch. And so some examples, you know, on on the B2B side, we have companies like in FinTech, like Spendesk or Plaid or CloudBees, like CloudBees is the company that created Jenkins or Retool or Zeppelin. And then on the B2C side, we have these large conglomerates uh, of D2C brands, like for example, 30 Madison, uh, which owns a few healthcare consumer brands the most common use case for the b2b brands that use high touch is really to empower their business teams sales and marketing and success support teams around the company especially these operational business teams around the company with data that exists inside of their data warehouse so the most common use case is really like i have a sales team that lives in salesforce and they have no idea what's going on with customers and my product and back in the day when you know all sales was just human and and relationship building like that's fine but today there's so many digital interactions with the customer that, that just the last thing that the salesperson heard of verbally on a call is no longer the only piece of information they need to know they need to know did they sign into the app how many users did they invite this month what are they doing how many credits are they using and how did you pipe all that information into salesforce without writing code just super valuable information lives in the warehouse and just needs to be in Salesforce. you just move it without writing any api calls or code or logic or maintaining any of those pipelines and, Anyone with SQL ability can do it. And then on the B2C side, I mean, the primary use cases we see are really marketing. So not to say B2B companies don't have marketing, but B2C companies, marketing just ties directly to to top line of a lot of these retail and e-commerce brands, uh, whereas you put more money in marketing, you, you, get, you get more value out. So it's all about how do you optimize that so people can use high touch to do things like refresh the list of users that should see certain ads inside of Facebook faster, you know, on an automated hourly or every 30 minutes type cadence instead of a, a monthly or a weekly cadence and that just increases the return on ad spend uh, drastically for some of these D2C brands or excluding users that have already purchased a product recently from seeing those ads and you know improving the personalization of their messaging. So I would say in B2B, the most common example is sales and B2C, the most common example is marketing. But really, it's a wide variety. Like We've seen people pushing data to things like NetSuite, which is a financial ERP system via high touch too.
0: Oh, fascinating. Well, let me, uh, if I can, I'd I'd love to understand a little bit more about the the business model that you've set up. And I I know that, you know, being a relatively young company, maybe it's going to shift, but can you... Can you take us through uh, business model that you've got today? How are you set up? SaaS, maybe you know customers, employees, those types of things, and a few, any metrics that you can about where you guys are in the growth curve. That'd be great. And anything, if if you're doing some interesting stuff, I'm always fascinated by the go-to market. Are you are you doing any paid? Are you is everything organic? If it is organic, how are you getting that traffic? So really uh, fascinated there. Anything you can share?
1: Yeah, you can definitely see the, the go-to market interest on your end, Kelly. Um, but I, I love it too. I mean, that's what drove me. Like, technology is what fascinates me, but go to market is definitely where I'm really interested in. And that's why I ended up starting my own business after, you know, working as an engineer in the space. Yeah. Um, I think it's just so crazy how much go to market can affect the success of your technology. Man, look at, look at Snowflake. Like, if they didn't have the usage based pricing model they had, they just wouldn't have had the adoption that they had on their service. So let's let's dive in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. off the bat, we're a SaaS company. We're a B two B SaaS company. We sell technology to businesses that runs on our cloud, but we can talk about this more later. But we have a we have a hybrid model, so it's it's unlike the typical SaaS SaaS where you know we're storing all your customer data. We're pretty much sitting on top of the infrastructure you already have, whether that's you know a data warehouse like Snowflake or even an S three bucket to power features like. Error logs in our application. Like our architecture is built in a way where now the information actually has to sit on our servers. It can all be on your cloud, but you use it just like a SaaS application online. You sign up just like that, just like any other application. Do,
0: do I have to actually install anything, or is it or is it truly no. a service? Okay. okay, it's truly
1: a service. It's, it yeah. just connects to network connected uh, services that you have, like data warehouses. Yeah. Now, if if that data warehouse is you know behind like a private network or something like that, you might have to open up an SSH funnel to connect to it, yep. in which case, you know, you need SSH. <laughs> but I yep. uh, usually don't have to install anything you don't already have to run high touch. You just get started in like a few minutes. And even if you just sign up online, we just have a demo DB available to you. So in terms of our, our kind of model, we we are a self-service model. Uh, we really believe that like product-led is kind of the future of what we're working on. Whether you're a huge company like Snowflake, I like like customers just love how they can just click get started and just start right away. Or you're a small company like High Touch. frankly speaking, we think product-led growth and self-service, allowing people to get in the application as soon as possible and try before you buy. is really the future. While we're a self-service model, we still have a sales team. We, we understand the importance of sales, so Snowflake does too. It's not just marketing and you know self-service, like a lot of companies, especially especially larger companies or companies that are making a, a bigger decision at once, want to talk to people in sales. They want to have people understand and spec out what the solution looks like and how it maps across the org. So we have salespeople as well.
0: Is it is it such that uh, is a solution such that I can literally try it myself and buy it, or does it take a little more heavy lifting with with a sales team to you know kind of set me up for a demo and and go through it from that perspective?
1: No, you can go to High Touch You can you can see the pricing right there, and you can just yeah. get started. If you go above a certain threshold. We kind of get you on negotiated rates and things like yeah. that, and that's all That's all transparent. We might expand those thresholds in the future as we, as we scale out, but you can actually make things work end to end with your own infrastructure, your own databases, your own data models, your own Salesforce, all, all, all without talking to anyone, which we think is truly is really kind of a, a magical experience. And we've seen companies small, like Mixmax is an example, a company that works with us, they're like 50 employees, this Google Chrome plugin, and we've seen companies, large like public companies, just just try it out right off the bat, yeah. and then you know maybe their security team comes to them a couple of days later. It's like, hey, who turned this on? But yeah. they try it out and they get value out of it, and that that gets them in the door, frankly. And and that's that's actually amazing to see, as someone working on a startup. So we're a self-service model with a strong sales effort, both for enterprise and uh, lower-tier customers. Anyone who signs up, we're gonna have a salesperson reaching out to that person. Anyone who requests a demo yeah. or schedules a call, you can do that. You can do that right on the site. We're a team of fifteen, quickly growing, expect to be in you know, a twenty quite soon.
0: What What's the trigger that uh, causes me? So i I go out. I'm gonna try high touch out, and run it through its paces. What What's the trigger that causes somebody on your go to market team to reach out to me?
1: So with the volume we're dealing with, which frankly is you know tens of signups per day. On the actual application, like in in a, in a fashion where people are ready to get started and go right away. Yeah, we reach out to everyone who okay. who, who signs up on high touch. Uh, unless it's clear that there shouldn't be a lead, like you know, it's someone's friend or it's a it's a competitor yeah. or anything like that, then we're yeah. not gonna reach out to them. But if they're if they look like a valid customer of any sense, we reach out to them. We prioritize customers that. Uh, you know have certain demographic information like they work at large companies, they're in a qualified role, like data analyst, data engineer, sales ops. And we personalize the messaging based on, you know, their actual usage of the product, who they are, their LinkedIn, etc. We we gather all that information, we pipe it into HubSpot via high touch in fact. So we do personalize reach out outreach based on who you are, but if we're not already having a sales conversation with you based on our CRM, based on all the digital data in there via high uh, we're going to reach out to you if you sign up, no matter who you are. It's just about who we prioritize and who we personalize to. And go to market-wise, like, we think another really important thing is pricing. So we have chosen to be a volume-based model for pricing where you can actually scale up very incrementally. So you can start at you know just paying $150 a month on high touch. So you get more records, you can pay more and more, which enables you to really try out more and more use cases and scale as you go. We, we believe that's the model that, that companies in and any one of the data space will ultimately guide towards. We're seeing this with Snowflake. We're seeing this with Firetran. The more control over you know the resource, and the closer you can get your service to having a justifiable cost basis like volume, the more attractive it is for engineers. So that that's a really big thing for us as well.
0: So it's consumption based pricing based on the volume that you consume.
1: Exactly. And okay, it's awesome. kind of amortized in that you know most of our customers once they get past this few hundred dollar a month self-service plans they're going into larger contracts they're buying a bunch of credits up yeah. front and for the whole year and that allows them to have spikes and dips and stuff but it it's a monthly active record model where it's the number of distinct records you're actually doing something with in these downstream tools per month so it allows you to scale up very easily and allows you to try out new destinations without having a big upfront cost for trying a new destination because we have that logarithmic scaling pricing model, just like Fivetrain, where the more records you have, the less you're gonna pay per record.
0: A- a- MAR is no great way to do it. Did you, did you ever kick around prior to even starting day one of development? Did you ever kick around just going pure open source? I'm curious. Yeah, it's would
1: <laughs> say it's something that any developer startup can't stop kicking it around in their head. If you talk to anyone at segment saying, Are hey, you kicking around open source? Everyone's gonna say, Oh yeah, we're kicking around open source. But we have no strong plans to do something open source right now. We think that the business we're in, the integrations are actually extremely complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that a community play yeah. to build these integrations in a maintainable, sustainable way is going to matter. I'm just thinking if I'm a data engineer at you know some large enterprise, I'm gonna make that integration, if I have the fork in, I'm gonna make that integration work for me. And then not really gonna care. I'm not gonna write regression tests and make sure it works for all these cases, et cetera, to contribute back. So so fundamentally I think that these integrations are so difficult and the platform so difficult that a corporation needs to be behind it. Now I do think something we might consider in the future is something like an on-premise offering, but what we found is that we're able to work with large companies in HIPAA compliant ways financial services companies, et cetera, by just having this hybrid architecture where literally nothing is stored on our end, which we think is, is pretty innovative for how, how the platform is built. And we even have features like live debuggers, you know, powered off S3 buckets in the customer's data infrastructure. So if they just sign up online, it can be stored on our end of those features. But if they actually just, just give us you know, access to these resources via the cloud, like via IAM roles and stuff like this across AWS accounts, it just works out of the box and all of that uh, self-service so we think with that architecture, on-prem may not actually be necessary for a majority of clients. And our focus is really to push the hybrid architecture and SaaS right now, because we think that that makes sense as a startup. Open source, there's no there's no real plans for it. It's something we'd always no. think about and it's something we'd potentially be reactionary towards, I would say. We kind of architect our systems in a way that we could do that at any point in time, if that makes sense, like it's very simple type architecture, but it's not something I believe is ready for community play. That yeah. Process.
0: No, there's so many different models out there. I spent three and a half years at HortonWorks, which was you know pure open source, Apache 2.0, oh, and you know had a challenge of monetizing. You you talked about DBT and the the growth that they've had as an open source uh, DBT core. You know, eleven thousand plus Slack community, five thousand plus DBT projects going right now, and you know kind of kind of making the shift with DBT Cloud to to, to start monetizing. And so there's so many different ways to do it. I'm just always fascinated by you know what you chose why you chose it and and to what you said makes a lot of sense i mean the, some of these integrations can be uh, as you said very very complex and they to a degree they can even be one off sometimes so
1: yeah and entirely and i think that's where you know just paying for someone to deal with this yeah. stuff is really what customers want to do ultimately so they can focus on the unique problems of their business i also think open source projects that flywheel works really well when when you know it's just just built for developers just built for data engineers it's kind of used in the background of their services but high touch is actually used by just anyone who can write sql we're seeing analysts marketing analysts sales ops folks marketing off folks, growth marketers themselves like the marketers that are more quantitative start jumping into the product and and using it right away because they have the skills to do so and even if they don't know sql that well they have these reports they can already use they have these dbt models in their warehouse they can select uh, I have looker. We have a deep integration with Looker, where you can yep. select anything from the Looker. So we think when you when you start thinking about business users and business value, that self-service online SaaS model just creates a certain flywheel that has a lot less friction than the kind of run on my own infrastructure install stuff model mm-hmm. that usually requires more thought process and, and asking for permission before you can just deploy.
0: If that makes yeah. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. What about? Uh, let me ask you. We were talking about people a minute ago. You've got what's uh, what's profile for an ideal hire for your product and engineering team right now at High Touch.
1: Yeah, so honestly, we have a number of of different challenges at High Touch right now. So we're hiring across both senior and junior, more junior roles, um, on the back end and front end.
0: So, on the engineering side.
1: Yeah, on the engineering okay. side. So for example we're looking right now for uh, a variety of roles one one of the roles is kind of a product minded back end engineer to lead you know product development as we expand the use cases mm. of our core system cool. another role is is we we kind of have uh, a team that's ever scaling to build integrations which i think is a, a little bit of a different function uh, mm-hmm. within the company and not just building the integrations but kind of iterating on the model of them etc and for that we think it's actually with the right supervision and the right guidance from the rest of the senior members of the team, we think it's a great way for uh, young folks that are just entering tech to, to get into a step into startup. So we, we take more junior candidates for these roles sometimes too. And then on the front-end engineering side, we're building a lot of new product, like we released a live debugger, get integration, all this sort of stuff, visual audience building, UI. So we're looking for another like, more senior front-end engineer to join the team. And then lastly, we're kind of on the lookout for somebody who's just focused on the core-syncing infrastructure, scaling that out, the observability of it, the reliability of it, the visibility into it, um, and just solving like kind of the deepest, hardest technical challenges from an infrastructure perspective at the company.
0: Any uh, particular development languages that you want uh, first and foremost for those uh, for those hires?
1: You know, we don't really believe in like a language-based way to hire. Um, in our backend, we, we employ different technologies like you know, JS, but really what we're looking for is the ability for someone to think about you know data systems and to be able to think about what our users are doing and how that translates into inter- infrastructure at kind an architectural and a conceptual level and just pick up a bunch of information. you know you're gonna have to be reading docs of snowflake, bigquery, different services like this, Amazon services, et etc. It's not really about a development language. No. that is the challenge anymore for any proficient programmer assuming they understand, you know, different concurrency models and things like race conditions and kind of like the, the basics of, it, of intermediate programming. At that point, it's no longer a programming language thing. It's more of a, it's more of how you think about software architecture and information architecture. That's really the skills we like to look for when hiring backend engineers and integration engineers.
0: Yeah, yeah no, agree. Are you are you hiring just in the Bay Area or are you, um, you've you got more of a remote uh, focus or what? what's the call there?
1: Yeah, this is the toughest question during COVID. <laughs> Yeah, so we're definitely hiring all over the place. Bay Area is a focus, and that's where we have network, hiring a lot of people from segment that already work there, et cetera. And I'd say over half the staff wants to come into the office a few times a week when things open up again, yeah. uh, but we're open to remote and we have about 20, 30% of the team that lives all around the world and we don't actually think we'll be in, in the Bay Area post COVID. Um, so I would say a Bay Area focus with the remote friendly and remote friendly culture practices around the company. We'll have to see how that evolves post-COVID. But right now, that's kind of the strategy for all startups.
0: Okay. Okay. What has been, what's been most challenging for you so far at, at High Touch uh, in the journey?
1: I honestly think the most challenging part of, of the journey of High Touch was what I would call the pre-product market fit days. I mean, really <laughs> figuring out it's not just the product, but it's really like which part of the market you want to focus on, which user do you want to focus on? and finding that place where the go-to-market just becomes repeatable. Um, I would say we only really did that last fall and since then it's it's been a lot easier. It's all about fine-tuning the messaging. So I guess if I have to pick something a bit wider scope, I would say the marketing and the messaging. What do you call your product? Who do you focus on? How do you say no to people that aren't in your focus area? That's the hardest part of of any product that's useful so universally.
0: What was, uh, just curious, what was the development time from starting coding to getting a product out the door and, you know, shooting for that first uh, slice of product market fit? How long did that take you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So from my segment days, we learned definitely a strategy to not build too much before, you know, we have the users lined up. So it was simultaneous, (laughs) the selling and the building, and the selling led the building, I would say. Kind of found some large customers to be design partners with us that had a strong use case and could wait a bit to have it developed. And honestly, we had kind of a continuous series of pivots, so it's hard to say where it started or stopped, but I would say it's no more than two months in the initial swing.
0: Oh, that's incredible. I love it. I, I am all about that same philosophy on getting to market quickly and getting it tested, getting feedback do you feel like you've got right now today perfect product market fit or are you still doing some tweaking some adjusting uh, based on what you're hearing in the, in the feedback uh, because it's still pretty early days
1: yeah i would say that we definitely have product market fit on the initial reverse etl angle that we're selling to data teams and data analysts around the company we're seeing that sale extremely repeatable to a number of companies big and small and they come inbound with the use case in mind and that's where a majority of our traffic comes today so we definitely feel like we have product market fit there. I wouldn't say our, our product marketing or our product messaging is necessarily completely tuned. Reverse ETL sticks. There's still a lot to do to try not just awareness, but also it, explaining the use cases mm. of reverse ETL to different types of companies and just making it resonate right off the bat, figuring out how to triangulate and map those orgs out. But I think on a pure product and market basis, we do feel that.
0: Yeah and you've raised you've raised some money I know you've got uh, got a couple of seed rounds that, that have gone what what's been the most difficult thing uh, as a founder about raising capital? Is, is it something you enjoy also or is it something you dread and you just oh man I got to go back and, and do this all over again where, where do you fall in that in that spectrum?
1: <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> so yeah we've we've, we've raised uh, seed rounds we've also raised uh, another thing that's not not yet disclosed but pretty large and large and impressive its a lot of scale the team to, to 15 plus people which it yep. wouldn't really be possible on the seed round but we'll see some announcements there soon in terms of your, your question I would say I wouldn't say it's in, super enjoyable to be honest <laughs> but I wouldn't say I would say that we're pretty good at it if that makes sense yeah. I think yeah. with the Bay Area network with the X segment the X segment background with how hot the data space is it hasn't been a particular challenge for our business to raise a lot of money on good terms so far mm-hmm um that's great from a longevity perspective and, and also great from a focus perspective since you can just focus on the building and the go to market but that's really our preference building and go to market i couldn't see myself ending up as anything like an investor or anything like that these things are not innately interesting to me they're just kind of levers necessary to get to the right spot for our business and i mean we were we were very lucky to get you know the founders of segment Datadog, um, awesome. front Okta, like great great you know b2b enterprises to invest Right out the door from our network, which has really set us up to you know get into great funds to back these companies and and hit the hit the ground running.
0: Yeah, solid brands. No, best of luck. You're you're welcome to break the news on on the show here if you'd like, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll probably, we'll definitely uh, keep our eye out.
1: Probably, uh, probably <laughs> not yet, but maybe in the future we'll have to talk yeah. to PR of yeah. that.
0: Hey, when you were uh, curious when you were starting High Touch and and really considering any, any advice that you got, whether it was a colleague or somebody at segment or maybe an outside potential investor what what was the best advice that you got when you were considering starting high touch
1: I mean the classic advice that I honestly learned at segment itself was selling before building that was our whole philosophy it worked very well to not seven not eight not, to nine figures plus of revenue for segment <laughs> Not over a hundred million dollars revenue for segment that that approach really scaled out but I would say some of the best advice I received, probably around hiring really really one thing I've learned is that when we see smart people that are t-shaped we have to just hire them immediately if if there's you know it's not about hiring vertical people who scale vertically right now it's about people who scale horizontally because there's so many needs that come up the next day at a startup that are somewhat predictable but really largely unpredictable so yeah I think to sum it up like we're not really hiring for you know people who are vertically scaled and can be leaders of certain specialized functions but instead people who have a core skill set that's valuable to the business and are willing to diverge from there and are just smart can take a lot of ownership and can can scale out horizontally in the company because there's so many different needs that just pop up out of nowhere in a startup business that's moving this fast
0: yeah well, so, no. Sounds like a great opportunity. Anything, as we kind of take it into the home stretch, anything you'd like the audience to know? Uh, we've talked a little bit about the fact that it looks like you guys are hiring across the board right now. Any Anything else that you'd like to give visibility to? Maybe special project or something that's going on at High Touch or that you have going personally right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm in the city of New York for the next couple of months. So oh, okay. If there's any people in data here, totally happy to grab a coffee or something like that. Or in San Francisco or the Bay Area. Would love for everyone to give out, give the product a swing at a hightouch.io. I'm sure the links will be will be there. Oh, uh, we'll link it um, up, no doubt. Nice, nice. Uh, you can reach out at any time. Like I'm always happy to chat with folks in data uh, personally. Uh, don't have to go through sales. And yeah, I mean nothing nothing too big here, but I'm excited to see cool. everyone.
0: Yeah, reach out to Tages. He'll be around uh, NYC for the next uh, next few weeks, and uh, and then catch him in, in the Bay Area as well. Hey, do you want to do a quick lightning round?
1: Yeah,
0: what's that? <laughs> That's four or five quick questions. These are these are softball questions. Nothing, sure. nothing crazy. Just kind of off topic. Get to know you a little bit. Morning person or night person? Night for sure. All right. How late? How late? What's your What is your go How to late? bedtime I was, generally?
1: I was up when, until
0: five a.m. yesterday. Oh my gosh. See, I'm the opposite. I'm up at four, but I'm in bed by about eight p.m. So. Nice. <laughs> What uh, you got a favorite? I'll, I'll say go to cook at home meal or go to takeout meal. Maybe give us one for the Bay Area and one for New York. I don't know.
1: For New York, it's definitely halal. I love I love the Mediterranean food around here. It's it's excellent. For the Bay Area, you know, it's still Mediterranean food there as well.
0: <laughs> that, hard to go wrong. Hard to go wrong. Yeah. It really is hard to go wrong. Yeah. Very, very nice. Barbecue what, is great too. What about at High Touch technology? A technology you cannot live without in your role at High Touch? What, what is mandatory? You just can't give it up. No way.
1: Yeah. I mean, besides the data warehouse itself, I think a technology that we can't give up at High Touch is probably Postgres. We use Postgres in a lot of crazy mm. different ways. That, that database is a work of art. So yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Postgres from from segment two. So I've got Postgres Conference and things like that before. Just a great fan of technology in the community.
0: Uh, ex- excellent. What about, again, since you're in NYC, favorite spot in New York City, favorite spot in the Bay Area that you that you want to share? I mean, we don't want it you know, flooded or anything, but uh, favorite spots yeah, that you can yeah. share?
1: Favorite spot in the Bay Area is probably Hawk Hill. Right across the Golden Gate Bridge up into North Bay, right outside San Ooh, Francisco. Okay. While taking bike rides there. Yeah. It's a great view. And then favorite spot in New York. Honestly, I'm still learning in New York. I think favorite spot's gonna have to be a food place, maybe yeah. a Mediterranean halal card around here.
0: Yeah. Oh nice. Very nice. Well, tell just hey, really, really appreciate you coming on the show. That was great. Great uh, time getting to know you a little bit, what's going on at High Touch. We're going to be following everything. Thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kelly.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Look forward to keeping up with everything. And a big thank you to everyone that listened in today. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can visit us at hashmapink.com. We will link up uh, all the cool stuff going on at High Touch as well in the show notes. Send us any feedback or comments. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you soon on another episode. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to HashMap OnTap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new
0: episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap OnTap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.